Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hey, guys. It is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And welcome, everyone. This is... Season 4, Episode 1 of your favorite Mizzou basketball podcast. Uh, starting clean, Season 4. I am your host, Sam Snelling. With me, as always, is Matthew J. Harris. Matt, how are you? We've really been doing this for four seasons. Hard to believe. Like, good God. <laughs> And uh, with the start of season four, you notice I did not speak about cocktail hour. Um, we are still going to continue to talk about what we're drinking because in my glass right now, Matthew, is a glass of uh, Ezra Brooks seven-year uh, cast strength. It is, uh, it's a tasty, tasty sipper. That's, that, that is good for you. I, uh, I am abstaining at this hour because I got to get up and go for a run in the morning so i am holding off on putting any uh brown substance into my body so uh well good for you it's the healthy choice um but i i what was it last week or two weeks ago i completely abstained so i'm trying to trying to catch up um so we wrap season three we're into season four uh, we are looking ahead now to the uh, potential of a 20, uh, 20, 20, 21, that's a lot of 20s, uh, season. Uh, there is still some doubt whether or not we are going to get there, but um, we're going to talk about it anyway, Matt, because there's a lot to talk about with this team, uh, and there's a range of outcomes that... Uh, I think are possible. Um, most people are looking at the range of outcomes as probably being on one end of that spectrum based upon our recent history. Correct? Correct. Correct. Um, but anything is possible. Um, maybe halfway through the season, half Kentucky's roster uh, catches COVID, and then we, we catch a break, and Mizzou goes on a big run and, and wins the SEC. Who knows? Uh it would take a pandemic for the to win its first conference regular season title in 25 years. So, well, let's hop on in with uh, some of our, um, I guess, preordained topics. Uh, we always like to, to touch on recruiting. 
and the even though there's not a whole lot of recruiting news going on, uh, there is a, a little bit of a nugget with uh, some current trends with one of Mizzou's. Uh, I think we would probably consider him one of their prime targets at combo forward, uh, David Joplin, who is a uh, uh, nice three-star combo forward from Milwaukee, Wisconsin, uh, guy that I think both of us looked at the tape on and and we liked him a lot uh he looks like he's trending towards texas which uh is kind of interesting because you know texas tends to kind of recruit at a a high level um they haven't quite had the output uh, it's not very often that that shaka smart reaches into um you know that kind of mid three-star status uh you know type players but i think he found a fit in david joplin and and uh Joplin now looks like he's moving away from Missouri. Matt, your thoughts? Uh, heard about three weeks ago that Texas was kind of sitting in prime position, and the real question was when they would, or if they would pull the trigger and make an offer. And, <coughs> you know, how long that process might draw out, and, you know, it seems like that didn't take long. Texas eventually pulled the trigger on that and then late last week he started seeing crystal balls come in and I heard from someone else that he was edging towards the decision and it looked like Texas was sort of trending that way um, it, it's been interesting early on it looked like it was going to be Butler uh, Butler was on him pretty early in the process um, also it helps that Laval Jordan uh, coached at Milwaukee uh, for one season, so he's got some loose connections up there. Uh, Butler's got a pretty good track record of identifying those borderline three-star, four-star guys and coming in and developing them, especially at that combo forward position. Uh, then Joplin just put together a massive February, uh, really picked up momentum in March. Missouri was a bunch, was one of a, about seven or eight other high majors that jumped in. Vanderbilt got in. Iowa State was in. Uh, and then the real question I think became was Marquette going to offer Marquette instead opted to go with James Graham. And so real and Vanderbilt looked like they kind of went with a bigger wing and gave Dorsey. So it kind of opened the door up a little bit for Missouri to maybe be there, but Texas uh, got in the mix and they have apparently uh, based on, at least if you believe crystal ball predictions done a pretty good job of uh, getting this thing close to being cemented. Uh, and, for Missouri, that, uh, that that means the search probably continues for a stretch four in this class. Yeah, and it's interesting because, you know, I don't think either of us uh, consider that position to be a, like a real high need in the class. Um, but I kind of tend to think that uh, what you try to do with each recruiting class is, is particularly one that you're going to need a lot of bodies, is, is build through... Uh, versatility, and I think that's one of the things about Joplin. He's a you know he's a bigger uh, wing or a smaller um, you know post, so that's kind of why he fits that combo forward role. He can stretch the floor a little bit, um, and and so he's a guy that I think you look at as sort of being an ideal candidate for that sort of flexibility position. But what Mizzou really needs in this class is ball handlers, and they probably need to add at least a post. Um, and the uh, they've already got one ball handler on, and we we've we've talked a lot about some of the other guys that they've looked at uh, for for you know point guard, combo guard, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but this is still a situation where I you know I think um, we were looking at the situation around Joplin and how it developed, and thought, oh, this is a guy where not only does he look good on tape not only does he sort of fit the profile of a player that that Konza usually you know finds good success with um you know but he's sort of in that limbo status with some of the other schools that you think might be a threat um you know but one thing is is for sure is is Shaka Smart is a is a heck of a recruiter uh he's a guy who a lot of players really connect with like on a personal level um you know, and let's face it, like, like there's a, a lot to like about Austin, a lot of like, a lot to like about Texas. Um, you know, even even through some of the lean years they've had, you know, more recently, uh, you know, that's that's still a you know a program with a lot of no, notoriety, and uh, it's it's 
it's tough right now um, to watch a lot of the guys that you like just kind of go other other directions. Um, but like I said, I, I think at this point we're kind of looking at um, the the combo guard position and the post position as as being a little bit more important that Missouri like not have to go too far down their board on. Um, so I don't know it, that maybe that's a little bit of a positive. Yeah, I, I you know you could. Legend Geeter is another guy who holds an offer, uh, six seven two twenty, kid out of River Rouge, Michigan. Uh, so Cornell man's sort of territory. But uh, reporting it indicated that uh, Geeter was waiting for Michigan to get involved, and lo and behold, last week, Michigan scheduled a Zoom with him. Now, where is uh, he on their board? Uh, that's anyone's guess. But if Michigan, you know, I think is at all serious there, I think that that becomes a guy who moves off and then you're sort of, I think having to reassess and, you know, or see if there's any other guys that we haven't seen get offers yet that are on the board. But, uh, so it's really down to Geeter and Joplin at the combo forward stretch forward spot. Um, but yeah, ball handlers, uh, are, are going to be in prime demand. They could need, they might need two to three if you believe that, cause you're going to lose, you know, both the Drews at that position. And if Pinson does decide to explore his professional options, you're going to, need three guys at that spot. Mark Smith's going to graduate. He can play the combo guard or the wing spot. So you're going to need to really focus on the backcourt, I think, in this class. Um, we've talked about Tamar Bates being one of those options at, at this point. But really, after that, it, it's it's kind of slim pickings here uh, at, the, at that spot. They've offered Madison Peaster out of Little Rock, but it, it really does look like it's, it's Bates at this point that other spot and then i think you're regardless of what they do in the fall i think you're gonna want to have or be inclined to try and bring in some veteran you know pieces in the spring so maybe they look in the transfer market as well come spring so yeah i think i think it would probably be smart uh for them to uh with this class not only look at like some juco talent but also some grad transfers to kind of backfill uh, you know, some of the, the empty roster spots, because there's going to be a lot after the season. And when you're talking about some of the things that they've, um, you know, some of the players that they've had success with, um, you know, in the last few years, you know, they have had some success with the grad transfer market. They have had, uh, not really with, with you know, Martin, but, um, you know, it, they can't always kind of jump into the Juco market and, and just sort of try to find a guy who they can sort of plug in to that position, uh, which will kind of help with some of the, the developmental guys that they're going to bring in, um, you know, probably as freshmen. Uh, even if even if they ha- end up, like, landing what I think both... <coughs> oh, excuse me. Um, but uh, even if they end up, landing what I think both of us would consider like the their two top guys at, at guard at this point with, with Tamar Bates and, and, and Brookshire. Uh, I think you still probably need a little bit more experience in your backcourt. Uh, and so you're going to want to have probably a grad transfer uh, or a, a Juco uh, guard to kind of come in and be able to handle the ball on top of that. Yeah. So that's, that's really where I think the pressing need is at this point. Um, if, the, what'll be interesting is what they do in the post. The, is Yaya Keda a guy they can reel in, uh, who we both think is a little raw right now, but athletic, uh, plays with a ton of energy. If they could get Keda on the board uh, in this class, it would probably also be helpful because then you at least have filled. You know, you'll have landed three prep guys. Maybe then you work in the JUCO and the transfer market a little bit to backfill a little bit. I don't think you want to go more than four prep guys in this class. I don't think you want to get so backloaded or overloaded with freshmen here. I think this is an opportunity to try and and find a balance. So realistically, if you could land Bates and Kata in the fall, I think you you maybe just settle with that and are happy signing those three guys and go into spring and see if you can't get a little bit of seasoning on top of that. Yeah, and one of the things that like both you and uh, I think you kind of started and I sort of picked it up and ran with it a little bit was the uh, a lot of the recruiting 
approaches and what has been, uh, I think, a pretty mixed bag with uh, recruiting, uh, you know, prep kids. Um, and when you, you obviously looked at Conzo's history uh, as sort of like the main component, and then I went and, and looked at Missouri's history and how their success for landing players that were, um, you know, that, that, <laughs> that were basically just sort of coming in as freshmen. So only freshman signees and what sort of, uh, I guess, what sort of success Missouri has had with those kinds of guys. And it's, it's been, it's been a lot, you know, and a lot like Missouri's kind of recent history, it's been all over the place. Like, you know, there, there have been some sort of, you know, boom seasons, just like there have been boom recruits, uh, you know, but there's also been a lot of turnover. There's also been a lot of guys leaving very quickly, being productive elsewhere, uh, you know, landing a highly recruited player hasn't necessarily translated all the time for Missouri and productivity. And I think that's something that we also need to take into account is what has worked for Missouri in, you know, the last 15, 20 years, uh, has been a combination of, of, you know, prep recruiting and recruiting kids out of high school, but also backfilling your roster through, through transfers. And I, that's kind of where I'm going, uh, this weekend is, is going to look at, you know, the success of guys who transferred into the Missouri program and, and were not recruited, uh, you know, to Mizzou at, as a, uh, a prep student and just sort of see the difference in, into the consistency. Cause I really think like, you know, yeah, I think Frank Haith maybe went a little overboard with some of the transfers that he was doing. Um, you know, particularly when you looked at the the roster uh, and the the depth that they had behind, like you know Jordan Clarkson and Jabari Brown on that squad. Uh, like Deuce Bellow was never going to be a guy who was going to help this team a lot. Um, but there have also been so many guys like like Jordan Clarkson and like Jabari Brown who have been so productive uh, for Missouri, and 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 so those are. It, interestingly enough, like Mizzou being successful with with transfers, and those two guys as an example, you know Clarkson was a very lightly recruited guy, a lot like Drew Smith, uh, who was really good and continued to get better at his previous school. So for Clarkson, it was Tulsa, uh, and transferred to Missouri. Obviously, had a success, and now he's been in the NBA ever since. Uh, you know, and Jabari Brown was a guy who was more highly recruited, um, you know, went to Oregon, uh, but wasn't happy there. And, and so I think what you do is you have like these, these two sets of players who one guys that were under recruited, developed late, became, uh, obviously very talented college basketball players and guys that are getting second chances at places where they weren't happy before, uh, but we're obviously very talented. And I think you, you have to look at the current roster right now, Mark Smith and Drew Smith. Mark Smith was a top 80 guy in the two, four, seven composite did not have a good experience at Illinois and bailed Drew Smith. Like you were saying earlier, underrated guy, uh, undervalued in high school. I think only had like a, like a 83.3 grade in two, four, seven. Mark Smith was a 96 or something like that. Mm-hmm. Two wildly divergent guys, but they come here and they wind up being, kind of key cogs at that combo guard point guard spot. So it, and we even talk about Jordan Barnett, who was a guy who came in and fleshed out a role as a three and D guy here. So there are, there are guys like Jabari Brown, Jordan Clarkson, Ernest Ross, Mark Smith, Drew Smith, um, Damari Carroll, Damari Carroll. Um, but then again, there have been some guys like Deuce Bellow, KJ Santos, Zach Price, and Cam Beachide, you know, in there as well. So it's, it's, it, I think it comes down to how effective the staff is at vetting guys and making them fit. But, you know, you look at what Martin's been able to do for the most part with transfers. It's It's been pretty solid because you have to, you know, say that, you know, we'll get an idea of what happens with Drew Bugs this year. But in the grad transfer market and the transfer market outside of KJ Santos, they've done a pretty good job at identifying guys. And this year, you know, it's easy with a kid like, you know, Jordan Turner, but, you know, that was a guy, you know, who could have 
come in from Bowling Green and been a, a major piece early on. So I think that they've generally done a good job at identifying assets on the transfer market and trying to pursue those. It, so I, I would tend to think that if they can get out this spring or even play in the mid-year market, that, that there's something that they could find and, and work for them. It's, it's just going to be interesting to see what that market looks like given you know just the uncertainty that we're even seeing about when or if there's going to be a season at all. Well, yeah, and I, I think if you're, you know, for, for me, it's all about, like, at this point, most Missouri fans are probably pretty accustomed to disappointing recruiting news, right? Like, it's been, out, outside of, like, a uh, six-week period starting in early March of 2017, uh, recruiting at Missouri has, has been, you know, largely an, an exercise in disappointment. Uh, and that has been since, you know, what, like probably Frank Case last year, you know, extent. Well, I got, you know, I guess, you know, Kim Anderson sort of, uh, you know, caught some, um, you know, some early success with uh, with Techie Gil Caesar and, and being able to retain both Jakeen and Gant and Naaman Riot. Like that was all, you know, good positive news. Um, you know, but really since then it's been, uh, there, there's always been news about them chasing, uh, you know, this player, that player, and inevitably getting cut from the list, right? Um, and that is extended largely with Conzo Martin. Like Missouri as a program has had a problem, kind of breaking through with with uh, a lot of the the more public recruits. And I say more public because, uh, you know, I think there's a lot of guys that enjoy, you know, the, the, the chase and they enjoy like the social media and, uh, and I, you know, I'm not going to fault anybody for, for doing that, but I also don't really think like that's kind of what cons has ever really been about. Like he's not really that guy. That's why it's kind of hard to track, uh, you know, who their, their main targets are. Um, but it is just sort of interesting for me, uh, to, look at this trend kind of basically continue. Uh, and, and I think we were kind of talking off air before we came on, like my philosophy is, you know, what is the end result? And for me, I, you know, I kept trying to tell people even during Kim Anderson's years, like Kim Anderson is not going to get fired for not winning, like recruiting battles, not like not signing, you know, Jason Tatum or something like that. Like that's not going to get him fired. What's going to get him fired is not winning basketball games. And the same thing is going to go for Conzo Martin. Like you could talk all day long about how disappointed it is that, you know, we're not reeling in higher rated recruiting classes. But if Conzo Martin is, is going to win games, it doesn't matter how he's acquiring players uh, or the level of which those players are acquired. Like, None of that matters. What matters is, are you winning enough games? And if he's winning enough games to keep his job, he's going to keep his job. And and same thing with Cam Anderson. If Cam Anderson was winning games, he wouldn't have gotten fired. Despite the fact that Mizzou's recruiting was always coming in like last in the SEC. So what lineup will be uh, projected in... Uh, September of next year uh, is is basically going to tell me how I'm going to feel about uh, you know the the upcoming season. Uh, hopefully they have a good year this year and, and you feel a little better. But I mean, that's kind of where I'm at. To your point, I mean, and, I, and you and I noticed this when we went through and we looked at the just looking at the RSCI data and, and looking at production. The best coach in the last two decades here landed two top 100 kids like Mike Mike Anderson was fantastic at I at what I think you and I always talk about is just can you identify fit can you have a culture a system that takes that player in gets incremental improvement you know and creates a cohesive sense of what each guy's job is you know, invests in them, gives them a role over time, and, you know, produces a good on-court product. Mike Anderson was not landing 
top 80, top 100, you know, not always even landing top 120 guys, but he was winning basketball games because he had a system and a philosophy and an approach to player development that maximized what he was able to bring in. And that's just one approach you could do. Now, would that have ever won him a national title? Would it have gotten him to a Final Four? Who knows? But got, he built, got pretty close. But he built. <laughs> but that, to my point, he he built the guts of two thirty-win t- rosters with that approach. You know, Frank Haith came in and optimized that offense, and and he deserves credit for that approach. But the player acquisition was on Mike, and you know, Quinn Snyder, as we noted, you know just rang up ridiculous classes. But there was inconsistent you know, player development. There was sometimes fit issues. Maybe there were guys who were misevaluated or misprojected. And so it, it really comes down to, to bring it back to what we were talking earlier with David Joplin. Like you put the tape on of David Joplin, and he's a guy who's floating between 150 and 190 in recruiting rankings. But you watch him on tape, and you look at what his skill set is, and you think there's a lot of things that fit with what Missouri has espoused that it wants to do with his position. And so if you land that guy, it's less about recruiting rankings than what assets are we acquiring with that guy? What skills are we bringing in? That's one part of the equation. The question for Missouri, which we can kind of, I think, segue into you know, just where, where this team broadly fits you know, next season is can you develop those skill sets and and maximize what a kid is bringing to the table? Because if you look on paper right now, since that 2017 class that you spoke about earlier, the average grade in for Missouri's commits has been 0.892. You know, borderline 150 kid. Kim Anderson's you know average recruit was 0.88. Kansas is recruiting a little bit better than Kim Anderson was, but when you look at the on-court results, he's winning six to seven more games a year than Kim Anderson. Is that good enough for Missouri fans? Probably not. But is but we're also having to factor in injuries and other and other kind of variables like that. But so I think the question realistically is, Conzo's done a good job. I think in some senses producing better than Kim Anderson, but that's a low bar. The question is, which we can get into now, is can this group, which is bringing back nine returners who have been in the program for quite a while, can this can this collection of guys... A lot of guys going on like three years under Conzo. Three, four years under Conzo. Like, can this group finally maximize its potential? Can it finally... You know, find its stride. Can we see consistent production? I think that that's really what we're what it all comes down to. Recruiting matters in terms of talent acquisition. Yes, we're we're not naive, not saying that it matters. You know how they identify guys and are they, you know, evaluating them properly. But at the end of the day, is are guys getting better? And it are those things. Is that improvement manifesting itself in the on court product? The last two years have left that open to interpretation. You can be fair, but no, because we do, we do it on this podcast all the time. We talk about, you know, it, it does not help when, you know, Jeremiah Tillman is taking 13 DNPs and Mark Smith is missing seven or eight games and, you know, but, but yeah, also, and this is why, like, I, I, you know, I, I largely agree with you on like the player development part, you know, you look at somebody and I think a, a prime example is, is Torrance Watson, um, you know, Torrance Watson has gotten better in certain areas, but the better areas defender. that they've they need him to get better in, or or at least be more consistent with, uh, he has regressed. Like he has regressed offensively. Um, now, I think a, I do think there are some things that you really are unable to do as a basketball coach. Like I really don't think you can like will guys into the gym to get better. Uh, and I do think that a large portion of, of you know high major Division one athletes do want to get better, do want to play a lot, and they are out there you know working on their game. But is Torrance Watson like has he done enough to um, you know in this off season to get himself at least back to the level that he was at uh, shooting the basketball as a freshman? 
because nobody's saying that they need Torrance Watson to be a 16-point-a-night guy. I think Missouri is probably looking at their current roster and seeing you know, Pinson and seeing Drew Smith and saying, we've got two guys who can score the ball. We need somebody who can stretch the defense. Uh, obviously, Mark Smith, if he's healthy, can do that. Uh, but Torrance Watson has been there for every basketball game for two years. You know, he's he's been durable, but he hasn't been consistent. And so, you know, some, uh, you know, blame of that goes on the coaching staff and some blame of it goes on to Torrance. Uh, but the end result is if if somebody like Torrance Watson and, and you know, people in his position uh, and on the roster, if they don't continue to improve and help this team win games, that's going to end up costing you know, the, the head coach and his staff, their jobs. Now, probably not this year, maybe not even next year, but at some point it will. And, you know, I think what we run into a lot of times is, you know, how much do you, how much weight do you put on a sample size? Because what we're, what's going to happen is fans are inevitably going to look at the nine game stretch last year where they tweaked the offense, they ran more ball screen heavy stuff. And Pinson got on a little bit of a roll. Drew Smith found some footing, and they started to put things together. But we did the same thing an offseason prior with Torrance Watson, when Torrance Watson was scintillating down the stretch and knocked in shots and was, you know, hitting, you know, looked like a guy who's going to become the floor spacer that you know people thought he was going to be, and then he could expand his game off that, begin attacking closeouts, use a snake dribble to get to the mid range, and start making some plays. Looked like a little bit more of a three-level score. That manifestly did not happen. And, you know, so the question that you have to ask is, with these guys, is you've seen little sample sizes from everybody. We saw a great, you know, shooting from Mark Smith the first 18 games of his sophomore year. Last year, did not shoot as well in games against high-quality opponents. So what's going to happen there? So I I think what we get into is what, what entity... And what player on this team can you look at and say, I trust that guy night in and night out? To me, it's probably Drew Smith and Javon Pickett. If like you're looking at their respective roles, those are probably the two most reliable entities on the roster to me. Like I don't expect Javon Pickett to go out and get me 14 or 15 a night. He can occasionally, but I know he's gonna he's gonna be able to you know be crafty off the ball. He's gonna be able to find a way to get to six or eight points. He's gonna rebound well. He's gonna try and play good positional defense. He's going to give me good effort. You know, Drew Smith is going to come is going to be a good on-ball defender. He's going to be able to run the offense for you. He's crafty off the ball. He's got a good finishing package once he gets in the paint. You know, I trust that Drew Smith's going to give me production most nights in some capacity. That's two guys out of nine returners. That so re- and you can go up and down the roster. You know, Jeremiah Tillman you know, every third game, he looks like the center that we all thought he would be. And then, whether it's foul trouble or turnovers out of double teams, something plagues the other two games. And then he was hurt last season. You know, you just mentioned Torrance Watson. You know, I've talked, you know, in the past we've talked about with Pinson, you know, not necessarily perhaps the guy you want to run the offense, but a guy who can make some plays out of ball screens and attack. You know, so I just look up and down this roster, and there are lots of questions about guys. And so what I think is going to become a theme as we go into preseason is, and I have you know, an SEC-wide piece coming out tomorrow looking at where teams stand after the NBA draft deadline, you know, what, what value should we place on continuity with this roster? Missouri leads the SEC in returning production. It's got nine guys who, are, who have been here three and four years. What value does that have, though? Like, what, what value should we place in that? And I really think that that's sort of the black box with this team. I think I think that term is probably the, the most fair for, uh, when you're talking about Missouri because I, I never like to take my criticisms of the team too far because so many other teams are have been far healthier than, than Mizzou has the last you know, three years. So when you have such important players not playing, <laughs> it's difficult to to get the kind of continuity that you would want and expect. 
And I don't necessarily think that this roster coming in, um, if even if they're healthy, is an SEC championship caliber team. I just don't. They don't have the talent for that. Uh, but I do think that if you go back to a year ago and and listen to our podcasts and and read what we were writing about this team a year ago. I still believe a lot of what we were saying back then that that the ceiling on this team is a solid NCAA team. Like you know, they're a they're a tendency. Yeah, like they're a good basketball team. If everything goes their way, uh, you know, maybe they can find their way to like a six seed or something like that. But to me, like that's that's kind of the ceiling for this team. Um. They have the talent level. Uh, they have good players. But to this point, they haven't been able to find consistency consistency for whatever reason. And a big part of that in uh, in each of the last three years has been, you know, having important players sit out because of injury. Um, I think last season was probably less about that than when you take your very best far and away best player off the roster uh, in year one and year two year three you were without jeremiah tillman for what like 14 15 games uh you know mark smith for what was he eight eight or nine games something like that um very clearly different losing guys who are very good players versus losing uh you know a potential top five draft pick and then a you know potential lottery pick um you know in consecutive seasons so i like i always i know that i feel like we spend a fair amount of time talking about the injury history last year's injury impact is not near the injury impact that they felt each of the first two years uh, but it was still there, and if Jeremiah Tillman is is healthy and Mark Smith is healthy on the roster, you know maybe they're able to kind of win another game or two, three games, uh, probably at most. But that's still enough to kind of change your perception and how you feel about this team kind of moving into the season. Uh, and and I think if you're looking at a team, you know that that was ten and eight last year, if they're able to kind of replicate that. Uh, performance again in the SEC, then with the, the the depth of the league, you're hoping that that's enough to kind of get you in the NCAA tournament. And I think that's that's kind of where I'm at with this team is is I'm trying to be reflective of how I felt about them last year, and if they can be healthy, I think that they can sort of attain a lot of the same goals that we had last year. I, I tend to look at it this way: I don't think they're going to shoot the ball as poorly as they did a year ago. They were across the sport moving the line back shaved about a 1.1 percentage points off three point shooting percentages. Missouri just did not, uh, Missouri does not <laughs> fall into that window. They um, fell off a cliff. They fell off a cliff. Um, I don't think they're as bad as the shooting percentages indicate. Now I don't, I wouldn't necessarily expect them to rebound and be a top 50 team in terms of knocking down spot up jumpers. But I think you're going to see putting, as you've, pointed out when you went through detail when they knock down threes the offensive efficiency is top 70 ish top top 60 top 70 they get into that mix if you can be in there then you're competitive that might get you two or three more wins now if you're healthy that might buy you another win or two so now you're maybe looking at 18 19 20 games i think what we have to factor in though is Last year was the worst year that was the worst the SEC had been in like ten or fifteen years. It was not a good league. It was in so it was it was easier for Missouri to sort of you know find some footing and and be yeah. more respectable down the road with some some offensive changes. Yeah. So that that was my point. And also as we noted, um, Auburn was missing Isaiah Coro. Arkansas didn't have Isaiah Joe um, in those in the games that they won there. Um, Ole Miss doesn't necessarily have like a great traditional center. There were all kinds of ways you could have like parsed those end results for them. So the the schedule helped them down the stretch. Now you look at what the SEC 
picture looks like going into next year, there's probably 10 to 12 guys back who in any other year would have explored their pro prospects. But given just what the draft picture looks like this year and the uncertainty around how, you know, guys who aren't, you know, going to be first round picks, what contracts they might get, that pushed a lot of guys back. Um, Meanwhile, the SEC probably had its best recruiting year in five or six years. There's six or seven top 20 recruiting classes coming in, and you look at teams like Tennessee, Arkansas, LSU, Kentucky, they're they're bolstering, well, not Kentucky, but there's some veteran teams that went into the recruiting realm and pulled out good classes to supplement. And so I think what you're going to find this year is a league that's probably closer to 2018 where it took or one nine win team got into the NCAA tournament. That was Texas A&M, but A&M was something like six and one against the Kim Palm top 100. They absolutely rolled through non-con and yeah, that was the team that was, that was really, really good in non-conference and then just had a horrid start to their conference. Schedule. Yeah. They were like one in five out of the gate. So my point is, if the league is closer to what we saw in 2017, 18, or 19, and, you know, maybe Missouri, you know, what does that suddenly do for Missouri? Easier wins aren't there to find. Maybe the relative strength of the league offsets any gains that Missouri gets. And so, like you talked about before with the non-con schedule, what that was shaking out with teams like Illinois, Kansas, Wichita State, Missouri could have been improved, but the nature of their schedule got tougher. And so wins are going to be harder to find there for them. So this team could be, like you, I think you've said before, I'd probably go, like, they could get to 50 or 60 in Kimpom and still be a 15 and 16 team, just based on the nature of their schedule. So I think that's something to, to keep in mind, too, is I think... The, I, I went even further than that. I yeah. think I, I think they, like, they could... And I'm not saying I think they are going to reach top 40, but I think they could like sneak into 40 and still be like 500. Like I, I think that's the kind of uh, I don't know the kind of look that you, when you couple the expected non-conference schedule. If we have a non-conference schedule with the conference schedule, what you could be looking at, you could be looking at a team that is like top 40 or 50 and still struggling to to you know, be 500 and maybe that's enough. Like if, as long as you're 500 in, uh, as long as you're 500 in the conference and you played a murderous schedule and you won the games you're supposed to win. And maybe you had like one or two, uh, you know, good wins. Um, and maybe that's enough to get you in the NCAA tournament. But I, you know, I think for this team, I think they, uh, they probably, because, here, here's what I think about a lot of the the talk of returning and, and the SEC uh, being so much better. Um, I think we've seen in the past that a lot of returning talent uh, doesn't always equate into, um, and we've seen that with Missouri, but we've also seen it with uh, a lot of other teams, is that it doesn't necessarily equate to them be going from like solid to elite it usually takes them from being like solid to good or solid to being slightly better uh and i i look at um what was it northwestern last year two years ago when they like they made the NCAA tournament and everybody looked at them bringing everybody back they're like hey this team this is going to be a team to watch in the big 10 and they just weren't um and I think a lot of time we, we place a little too much emphasis on guys coming back. And overall, the SEC was a disappointment last year. So, and I'm not saying this as, as like, I don't see this necessarily as Missouri's benefit, but I just don't see suddenly the SEC is going to be fielding like five or six elite teams. Uh, I think there's two or three maybe three at most teams who have a chance to be really good 
uh, you know, but for the most part, I think a lot of the teams that are bringing all these guys back, they're they're going to improve, but it's not going to be like a 42 in Ken Palm to 16 in Ken Palm. It's going to be like a 42 in Ken Palm to like 36 or 32. And I just think overall, like the SEC is going to be better and deeper, uh, but it's going to be like the Big Ten a few years ago when there were so many good teams, but there were no real elite teams. The one thing I think it'll be, and that's going to be worthwhile to watch is like, what do teams like Arkansas and Alabama do? Because those, you look at those rosters, you know, both had top 10 recruiting classes, both, you know, bring back some veteran guards, you know, both dipped into the transfer market, Arkansas way more than Bama, but both Muss and Nate Oates, rapidly turn those rosters over but in a normal year where we had you know workouts in june and there were some time to build cohesion and whatever i might say yeah the the way that the pandemic has completely like just junked the calendar is a team are two teams that have like got such you know quick turnover and such disparate kind of parts can those teams form kind of cohesion and chemistry you know, on paper, lots of talent at both those places. So I think that's what I, what you're to your point. You can look at those teams, and they're getting a lot of love right now, and a lot of analysts, and even me, like just looking at production, go, yeah, that's a good pool of talent to build a rotation out of. But can those guys go do it? I think if you're going to look at teams that I would probably put more stock in, like it would be Tennessee, or it would be LSU, or it would be you know a team like Florida. You know, guys who've been in there multiple years, coaches who have were a little bit more established, have their kind of systems in place. You know, culture's kind of more firmly rooted. Um, it'll be like a team like South Carolina, I think, is going to get overlooked. Not overlooked, but a lot of teams are put, a lot of people put them sort of in sixth to eighth. But they bring back four or five vets. Frank Martin always manages to find a way to gut that team into the upper half of the standings. So I think that there are going to be some team. There are some coaches that I look at and say I kind of trust what they've been able to do. You know, Auburn had a few more returners that were known. I might lump them in there, but I think you're gonna. But I'm skeptical about Ole Miss taking a big jump forward. I'm skeptical about you know A and M being you know ready this year. I think they're one year away, and you know you've got you know like I said earlier with Arkansas and Alabama just quick. You know, quick roster turnover there. Not a lot of time maybe to build chemistry. So, on paper, there's a lot of talent in the league. It'll just be interesting to see kind of what, it, what, you know, which teams are able to coalesce, form identities, and, and you know, find their stride, you know, in a season that's probably going to look unlike anything we've ever seen before. And that includes Missouri. What does Missouri look like here? And I guess that's where you would hope that continuity helps them, that there's enough guys around that, understand the program, understand each other, and, and fit well. But I, I agree with you. I, I think on paper there's a lot of talent in the league. But it'll be interesting just to see which teams can sort of, I guess, adapt best to circumstances that none of us have ever, ever seen. And we'll have plenty of time to kind of dive more deeply into the rosters as we kind of get closer to the yeah. season. Um, but as it stands, we are August 5th. Um, yeah, so we've got, we've got some time. Um, what if the season doesn't tip until January, Samuel? Uh, yeah, I, I kind of would be okay with that. You know, I, we've kind of talked about it a little bit, but I like the idea of the college basketball season being January pushed back. Yeah. Like I, I think that'd be great. Um, instead of March Madness, maybe you have May Madness, and then like the championships are played like first of June. Um, I just think like there is a collective attention that is paid to college football and football in general, and once you kind of hit like why March Madness I think is so popular is because there's not a lot going on in sports in March. And I think if you could basically have March as like your catalyst for 
the start of conference play, and then you you might be able to extend the excitement for college basketball uh, into a a you know bit of a deep. And I realize like okay, like you're getting into like June and whatnot that you know people are turning to to you know baseball and stuff like that. But I mean, I don't really think that there's a huge crossover in like you know baseball fans and, and college basketball fans. I mean, I think. That, in general, there are people that are sports fans. They they spend as much time as they can watching sports. Um, but I really think that you could capture a lot more of a captive audience and keep people interested longer if you move the season to you know a later period. So basically, like you were really kind of getting into some exciting non-conference games. Like you know, you have a couple you know dummies that you queue up for early. January, you know, get your fine tuning. Uh, and then, you know, students are on campus. And so you have like one big marquee game there in like mid January, right? When students are hitting, you know, campus and then you, you just sort of carry that momentum. I think that, I think that'd be a smart move. Uh, but that's wildly off topic. <laughs> or is it? I didn't know I was going to send you there, but we have time. Uh, who knows when uh, we're going to have. Uh, preseason practices start. Who knows when we're going to know what non-con schedules look like. Um, I saw that the A-10 put out uh, home and away opponents. <laughs> and I was like, that's that's awfully optimistic by that conference office. But uh, normally by now we'd have schedules to sort of break down and we'd have a loose sense for what the docket would look like. And that would actually help us be able to probably more accurately assess or set expectations for this group. Unfortunately that doesn't exist we'll get there uh i'm sure that they're i i'm still skeptical of whether or not they're going to be able to play a full football season um but i do think that they're going to be able to play a full basketball season it, it may require that they are you know moving it to a later time but i think it's going to happen the only thing i will um, pick up from your point is i like the idea that you come out of the cfp with a massive basketball tip-off week the second week of January. Yeah. Just roll it in. Just all your big events, do it. And just, you know, roll January. <laughs> and the nice part is you would avoid finals breaks and Christmas break and Thanksgiving breaks, so you could kind of condense the non-con season. You wouldn't have, like, 14 extra days in there so you could probably shave two weeks off the non-con season as well so yeah exactly like that's an, a whole nother thing that just kind of sucks is you get all excited for basketball season to start and then there's like this flurry of games for like a couple weeks and then they, they play like three games over the next four weeks just tiresome yeah just compress uh, it but we're gonna get out of here and let the people go on about their business well matt you would you would think that, but before we do, I need you to answer a question because our our good friend Mizzou Daily uh, at Mizzou Daily on Twitter um, seems like a good Mizzou fan said, uh, "Who are you taking in a bare knuckle brawl? Say Conzo versus the rest of the SEC head coaches, or?" Uh, so would you take Conzo or would you take the field? So in a in a tournament, I guess, of of bare bare knuckle fights, is there anybody that you think that you would I I guess the bet is you're taking Conzo or you're gonna take the field? I gotta look at age. Um so Will Wade's probably in his age bracket. Buzz Williams. Uh, I'm not taking. I'm, I'm not taking I'm just, Will I'm Wade. Just, He's glass just, jaw right I'm just, there. I'm running. <laughs> we got some older. We got some older coaches. We, you saw him. You saw him sweat the second he had to answer a single question uh, about his uh, incident like, like improprieties. So uh, has, has some chutzpah to him. All right. Yeah. So I think I think Buzz would be a scrapper. I think Frank Bruce Williams, Pearl would be a Frank, scrapper. Frank Martin's going to be a. Frank I mean, Martin. Yeah. Like Frank Frank Martin might cause just, some problems. I feel like John Calipari would just try to talk his way out of the fight. Yeah, I, I mean, to me, <laughs> and it also depends like how worked up everybody is, and like when we're gonna get into this battle royale. But 
don't know. I I need to know circumstances, how motivated everyone is. I take the field. I don't know. I just feel like we don't know what alliances will emerge. We don't know what's going to happen here. But um, Zoe's fit. There's there's no doubt. Uh, on the hoof. Mike, I think Mike White would, like, he's got that kind of, like, dead, like, shark's eye stare that uh, might be a bit of a threat. Did you see how... I'm not. I'm not worried about Rick Barnes. Like if you watch sideline demeanor alone, it's got to be Buzz. Does <laughs> Buzz just destroy shirts? With it's got to be Buzz, Bruce, Frank, or Zoe. It's got to be one of those four. Just for sheer like work rate they put in on the sidelines. Um, I mean, you got to give Jerry Stackhouse a little do. cred. Jerry seems. Jerry probably, seems He's so probably cool still. He's like he's probably still in really good shape. I, I bet he yeah, but he Jerry, can throw a punch too. I mean, I would still I would still probably take uh, Conzo Martin, but yeah, I'm just saying though. Like if you were to look at like <laughs> sideline demeanor and what we know about guys as players, I, it, Zoe's in the top four mix there. What we'll we don't know what injuries are going to happen. I, I'll, also, I I just can't see Zoe fighting. Like, what would it take? Like. It had to be like a Hulk situation. What, what is going to enrage Konzo so much that he would like want to just go on a savage, savage beatdown on someone? What would, what would, what would the conditions be to do that? I, I don't know. I mean, I think I, I think they're in, uh, implored to do so by the the tournament. So, I mean. I'm not answering Daly's question here. I just I. I... <laughs> All right, you, you can take the field. I'll take Zoe just for argument's sake. But uh, I don't know. Let us know what you think. You can write up into my mentions. I think uh, Daly was going back and forth with uh, somebody else. I I put Twitter down. Sorry, I d- didn't read it. Who it was? But um, yeah, if you have an opinion on who would win in a uh, in a bare knuckle fight. Conzo uh, or the field versus uh, all of the SEC coaches. Uh, let us know. I, I'm curious as to what everybody else would say. Uh, but in my mentions at Sam T. Snelling, find yourself there. Uh, and also, you could tweet at Matt if you want to at Matt J. Harris 85. Uh, all, all crappy complaints can go to Mitch Hill. Um, and. Uh, Make sure that you're subscribed to this here podcast because we'll be back in a couple weeks uh, with a, uh, a more of season four. And for anyone who is curious about the intro music with our new intro music, this is uh, a, a, a hip hop group called The Coop and uh, C O U P. And uh, this song is my favorite music. So go check that out. It's a great track. Um, Shout out to everybody who gave me suggestions for the music because I enjoyed all of them. And uh, I think I said this two weeks ago, but I did put together a a track list of all the suggestions for a Spotify playlist. If you need that, it's on my timeline. But if you need it again, just just shout me out and I'll I'll send it back your way because uh, a lot of really good suggestions. And if you have more suggestions for what should go onto that playlist, let me know. I'm down for more good to talk. Uh, So, see ya in two weeks. Bye.